Hi, I'm Alan Arnold. Welcome to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. Earlier this April, we had one of the most beautiful events that we get to do all year long. I'm talking about a captivating event held in the mountains of Colorado for over 400 women. Stacey Eldridge led the event, and the very first session was on the core desires of a woman's heart. Now, I know this sounds like it's a message for women, right? And it is, but it's also for every man listening, because this is your chance to understand better the women in your lives, your wife, your daughters, the women you work with. It's a wonderful introduction to the interior life of a woman's heart. And for the women listeners, so many of you have yet to be able to attend a captivating event. This is a great taste of what the sessions are like. And it's a great refresher if you have been, but it's been several years. So I invite everybody to listen now to Stacey Eldridge as she teaches live on the core desires of a woman's heart. I'm going to start with one of my favorite stories, Mark 5. Jesus was ministering, you remember the story, and he came over from the other side of the lake, and Jairus, the head of the synagogue, went down to meet him. The story actually says that Jairus came to him and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus, and he, and he pleaded him, would you please come to my home and lay hands on my daughter because she's dying? And Jesus, full of compassion and being Jesus, said, yes, I will come. And so he walks with Jairus to his home. But you remember that he doesn't walk alone, right? A crowd goes with him. Of course a crowd goes with him. It's Jesus. What's he going to do next? His disciples are there. People are there. A throng, it says. And he's being pushed against. He's being jostled. He's being shoved. When suddenly he stops and he asks what seems like a ridiculous question by his disciples, he says, who touched me? I mean, a lot of people have just touched him. But who just touched me? with a very particular desire and intention. And a woman came forward. She too fell at his feet. And the scriptures say that she told him her whole story. She told him the whole truth. She didn't hide anything back. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She had seen every doctor, done every treatment, spent every dime, and she was getting worse. And she knew, she believed in her heart that if she could just press through this crowd, if she could just even touch the hem of his garments, then she would be healed. And so, against the law and against all rules of propriety and etiquette and religion, against all odds, she does. And she does touch him, and she is instantly healed. And what is Jesus' response? Was he irritated by her presumption? No, he is pleased with her. He calls her daughter. He says, your faith has healed you. Her faith in what exactly? Isn't it her faith that Jesus has the capacity to heal her? That if she goes to Jesus with everything she is as a woman, with everything she's not as a woman, with everything she's tried, everything she's failed, everything she's suffered, he will not withhold healing from her. It's true, and she knows it. And he calls her blessed. This story is one of the treasures of Christianity because it's a story for us. 
The Bible says that Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still has the power to heal. He still has the desire. He still has the power to come to us in our place of deepest need and restore us. It is, in fact, what he came to do. It's what he loves to do, to heal us, to touch us in our place of deepest need, which means to heal our hearts, to heal our femininity, our feminine hearts. It all starts there. Your heart is the center of it all. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life within you. Above all else, guard your hearts. Doesn't that sound a little crazy? Above all else, really? I mean, most of us watch over the number on the scale much more closely than we do our hearts. And to tell you the truth, that is a very dangerous thing to do. Because in the sorrows of life, in the very pace of life, we lose hearts. A life without heart is not a life worth living. Your heart matters. Your life matters. So above all else, guard your heart. And guard not like a watchdog. I'm going to keep my eye on you. You better not step out of line. Bad, bad heart. No, not like that. New hearts, a glorious heart. He's put a new heart in us. Guard as in nurture. Protect, shield. So what is the heart? If that is the core to who we are, and that is what Jesus came to restore, then we've got to get a little better handle on what is this slippery thing that we're talking about. Because our heart is the core to who we really are. It's the place where you're the truest you. The core to your convictions is there. It's the fountainhead of your faith, your hope, and of course your love the place where Jesus resides, your heart. And to help you understand it, we can ask a simple question, well, what does it want? Well, what do you want? If you were going to press through the crowds and get to Jesus, why? What do you want? What makes you come alive? What kinds of things do you enjoy? And so I would actually like to know, what are some of your favorite movies? Really, just call them out. What's some of your favorite movies? The Notebook, Pride and Prejudice, Princess Bride, Last of the Mohicans, Lord of the Rings. Yes. Oh, my fair lady. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, there's a realm here, isn't there? Yeah. Last of the Mohicans to Anne of Green Gables. We like them all. And these movies are actually a clue into the feminine heart. They really are because they're clues to the secret of the feminine heart that God placed in us when he created Eve. Tonight I'm going to talk about the core desires of a woman's heart. And these are clues, these movies, these things that we love. And it's important to name them. I am going to talk about core desires, but just as there is a myriad of expressions of femininity in this room, there is a myriad of expressions of these core desires 
the way they manifest in our life. So I am not a cookie cutter person. This is the one way and you have to have this. So I'm going to talk about these core desires and see which one evokes longing. Maybe they all do. I do know that this is the place where your deepest wounding has occurred in your life. So I'm going to be poking around here. It may make you mad. That's okay. Shows your life. <laughs> so the core desires of a woman's heart. These are the very place that God is inviting us to take the risk to awaken to. So I'm going to show a clip right now from one of your favorite movies, Pride and Prejudice. Let's see what this stirs. He can't even get it out. I love, I love, I love you. All men get long coats and pirate shirts from now on. And please take your time walking across the fields. Glorious masculinity. Something awakened there? Any longing there? I'll name that the desire to be romanced. And I'm not talking white linen, tablecloths, and candlelight here. That's nice. But this is a desire that goes much deeper than that. This is a desire that's core to your heart, a desire to be pursued and fought for, a desire to be wooed and won. Let me just say something about our core desires. This is the very place we bear the image of God. The very place. We are made in the image of God. Have you ever wondered really where? Because it's not in our bodies. The Trinity does not have a body. We are made in the image of the Trinity in our hearts. And the way those are expressed are in our desires. God shares these desires with us. So think of the movies that you love, the stories that you love, books that you love, the romance novels, the romance movies, the romantic comedies, all of it. Those authors have tapped into something very core to our feminine hearts. And it's this, this deep longing to be romanced. And the desire to be romanced is set so deep into our hearts that it can feel very vulnerable to admit it. Like, we downplay it. We'll even mock it. But we don't have to. We don't have to. This is a glorious thing about being a woman. God desires to be romanced. He is, in fact, the ageless romancer. Romance, that's his idea. Moonlight on water, falling stars, poetry, the fragrance of wildflowers, chocolate. <laughs> it's all his idea. In fact, he has been wooing your heart since your first memory and even before then. Those things that you love, those things that took your breath away, those moments that you would like to relive forever, those places where you have a fragrance and it takes you back to a time you, you remember with we minimize it and call it nostalgia, but it's something much more deep and holy than that. Every moment you love, those have been love notes sent specifically to you by the ageless romancer to woo and win your heart. 
to his. He loves romance. And he waits to be wanted. He does. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He wants to be pursued. So do we. So do we. We're going to be hearing from a number of women and two tonight, women who will also be teaching and sharing thoughts with you. Two women that I've actually known for decades, whose heart and love for God are stunning. And it's been my privilege to walk alongside of them. The first is Sherry. Sherry Snyder, would you come up and just tell us a story about romance? Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you guys tonight and to particularly talk about this, what do we do with this desire to be romanced? I confess that for many days, this desire lives far underground for me until in the midst of my dailies, God comes and takes my breath away again with his intentional and unwavering movement toward me in the language of my heart and my story in order to communicate to me again his intimate knowing of places in me that I have even forgotten and to awaken them again. He caught my heart recently, about three weeks ago, in a way that I was so unsuspecting. It was a Monday morning. I had just dropped my kids off from school. I was coming home, and it was somewhere between walking in the front door and heading toward my kitchen counter, which had just all the debris of the morning, that I kind of habitually just looked at my email on my phone, and there was an email there from my dad, and it contained two photos. And friends, I tell you, I had no expectation that God was going to lance a massive place of forgotten desire and romance in me. So I just kind of casually click on the photos en like, route to the you know, mess on the counter, and sure enough, my heart was really stopped. So on my dad's side of the family, I come from a long line of family farmers. My grandfather's grandfather immigrated um, in the 1870s and purchased land in southern Illinois, and that land has been farmed in my family for about 125 years, and a succession of farmers, father to son, until now. My uncle, after 42 years, is retiring, and that photo was from the auction of his farm equipment. And, oh, my friends, I was completely unprepared for how deeply my heart responded to seeing those photos. See, as a little girl, my aunt and uncle's farm was one of the foremost geographies where God romanced my heart. My family lived in a small city about three and a half hours away. And as you'll come to know more of my story throughout the weekend, it wasn't a great place in many ways for me. But my aunt and uncle's farm was special. And as I reflect on it now, they actually loved God. And I grew up in a family where just the mere existence of God is not accepted. And so my aunt and uncle love God, and maybe it doesn't surprise you to live that close to the land. You really come to love God. God romanced my heart at that farm tremendously through the tire swing under the oak trees, through the sense that there was an adult man and woman around me who were proficient and skilled and caring for land and animals. He romanced me through, in the evenings, there was a gentle mist that would 
suspend over the rolling fields of corn, and it would turn almost purple when the sun would set. It was so beautiful. And as I looked at that photo, I knew something very precious is coming to an end. And gentle tears began to roll down my face, and I felt that inconsolable ache of something beautiful now lost. And then God came. First, it was the gentle invitation to pour my heart out to him. And mind you, I hadn't really thought about those memories of my uncle's farm or about how much girding their lives and the connectivity I felt with my ancestors. I didn't know. I'd forgotten, but God knew. And he was so intentional to bring those photos to me. And my response surprised me. Then I began to pour out my heart to him about how sad I am to live so far away from the original geography of of my heart and how precarious it is to be human in the face of the forces of time and culture, the current of which we cannot stop. And above all the sorrow that in moving half a continent away in my early 20s, I somehow took the thread of my life off the loom of my family story in some irrevocable way, and that I just feel so far and untethered. And then in the silence after, I sensed a response from the living God. And friends, you know how this goes. When it comes, it's deeper than words, and maybe it's only afterward that we can actually put language to it. But it was something like this. Darling, do you know that your heart matters to me? Your heart matters to me. That is why I brought you these photos today. I have not forgotten your love for that place or those people. Every theme of your life that is precious to you has its origin in me. Do you know that in my kingdom there is no loss that is permanent? Will you open your heart here to me? Will you let me lead you in the art of reweaving and experience together how we thread every geography, every relationship and storyline that you feel is lost back into the tapestry of your life in ways you could never imagine? I am coming for you, Sherry. And that is why I brought that photo. And right now, you and I are reweaving together. Will you trust me with the places in your story where loss feels permanent? And will you give me access to your heart? On this April evening, the fact that we are seated here tonight is evidence of God's wooing and pursuit of your heart. And our prayer is that this weekend you would feel him speak to you in the intimate language of your heart according to your story. I am so honored to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. When we are young, we desire to be precious to someone, especially our dad. And as we grow up, the longing matures into a longing to be desired, wanted, pursued as a woman. Now, Whether or not we've been pursued by a man or not does not do anything to merit the value of our life. But I do want to ask you, can you admit that you long for this? That you want this? 
that you were made for this. At some deep place in her heart, perhaps hidden, perhaps buried, every woman longs to be romanced. Another thing that we desire is to be irreplaceable. To play an irreplaceable role in a heroic adventure. When I was young, I liked watching World War II movies. It was those big TV sets, only in black and white, but I loved them. I wanted to grow up and put my hair in braids and tuck them underneath my helmet and sneak in. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to be a part of a war, but I wanted to be a part of something heroic and valiant. Didn't you? Oh, there is something fierce in the heart of a woman. Something fierce and heroic. And if you doubt it, then insult her best friend. (laughs) And if you really want to take your life in your hands, insult her child. (laughs) But be ready to run. See, there is a strength placed in you, given to you by God on behalf of others. And there's something in the heart of a woman that wilts like flowers without water when we think that we are easily replaced, unimportant, unnecessary. A friend of my husband's told him that in her marriage she felt like a household appliance. That's not irreplaceable. I know what she meant, though. There were certainly dark days for me where I have felt that. I talk about my 30s being the wiping decade. I was always wiping something. Floors, countertops, noses, tears, bottoms. Not with the same rank, but wiping. (laughs) And it can sound like, oh, well, that was the 30s. That all ended, you know. Sure, the wiping ended, but the battle did not end. And whether you work full-time outside of the home or full-time within the home, whatever station you are in life, whether you're single, married, divorced, or widowed, so much of our life as women is hidden from the world, isn't it? It's not seen. And the things that we do to keep this world going, man, you get an award for doing your 100,000th load of laundry. You just don't. And people in your home probably expect to eat, like every day. (laughs) But a woman doesn't come alive being merely useful. No. She wants to be essential. She wants to be irreplaceable. She wants to make an impact for good. I'm going to say it again. A woman doesn't come alive being merely useful. To live a life solely of duty and obligation will not fuel your heart. It will not see you through. A woman wants to be essential, to play an irreplaceable role, because it is for such that we have been made. And remember, this is a desire, a core desire. So this is where we bear the very image of the living God. Does he want to be useful to you? I'll just be over here. Uh, You just call me when you need me. I'm easily replaced. I'm not essential. Um, No. 
He wants to partner with you in every act of your life, in every moment. He wants to be irreplaceable to you. It's a glorious, glorious desire. And another woman we get to hear from tonight, and who will also be teaching and sharing thoughts, Lisa, come talk to us. My role is shorter. (laughs) Uh, Not long ago, in a galaxy not so far away, I found myself bald and beaten up, battered by life, by chemo, by surgery, and really disillusioned with my role. I'd had to step out of my role in the work that I had been doing because I was no longer strong enough to carry on that role. And in the midst of trying to recover from chemo and surgery, your head goes into deep, dark places that is described in Ezekiel, the dry bones phase, where you just don't know how you're going to climb out. And I didn't know how I was going to climb out. I didn't know if I was going to be able to regain a sense of self and purpose. And my kids were a little older. They still needed me. They were still at home. But they were perfectly capable of getting their lunch and getting themselves to school. And I didn't know what to do. I was lost. Lost and bald is not pretty in a woman. (laughs) And so I prayed and asked God to show up for me. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And in the midst of that season, when my hair is about two inches long, uh, some friends who own a preschool offered me a job at their preschool. And I thought, ooh, no way. That is not an answer to my prayer. So I didn't like my own kids when they were that age. I am definitely... Definitely not going to like somebody else's kids at that age. But it seemed like the only recourse that I had. So I joined this team at this preschool. Part of their routine daily is that we welcome the preschoolers as they come through the door with hugs and eye contact. And it was pretty fabulous. Those little faces and their, their hugs and their breath, they were glory to me. And I had not realized how shut down I had become. And so God sets me in the midst of children, which he calls us to be like. And I get to see it lived out in my life every day, become like little children. And they are so funny. They are totally unfiltered. So, <laughs> Mrs. Beck, I wet my pants. You know? I was like, oh. And uh, some of the things, the secrets they divulge and trust you with are glory. It's precious and it's dear and it's life-giving. I went there to serve and they pulled me back. They hugged me back to life. And during that experience, because God works like that, it's not just for one person, but it's for all. He gave me the ear of the parents because I loved their children. I actually did learn to love other people's children. (laughs) Um, And I did. But 
because I would love them, I had the parents' ear. They trusted me. They invited me into their world, me into their lives of women that I would never meet in another circumstance. And I got to meet and rub shoulders with these women. And I saw that it wasn't just a job at a preschool. It was an invitation into lives, into living with people. And it did and has been an irreplaceable role. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, I love painting these pictures. So that you can see, because we can think um, an irreplaceable role is standing on this stage talking with women. No, it is. But if this is all I did two times a year, that would just not be enough for me. You have an irreplaceable role, and may you have the eyes to see it. Yeah. I'm going to show you one more scene tonight. And this is a a beautiful picture of another woman playing her irreplaceable role. And it's from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. This is the first of the series when Frodo has been entrusted with the ring, the one ring to rule them all. And he has set out from the Shire with his little band of valiant hobbits led by the mysterious, and may I say handsome, Strider into the, to the wilderness. But they've run into trouble. They've run into the Black Riders. They've had a battle. And Frodo has taken a serious wound. Poison is going to his heart, and he's dying. They're in danger. They're at risk. They need to get him to safety, and they can't. And then a woman arrives. Arwen is the fastest rider. Arwen is the one that needs to come to the rescue. She's the one that's entrusted not just with Frodo, but with the future of all of Middle Earth. She's trusted, she's valiant, she's strong, and she's merciful. There's nothing harsh or abrasive about her. She's tender, she's vulnerable, she's fierce. She plays her irreplaceable role well. Think again about the movies that you thought of that you love. Got them in your head? In those films, who do you want to be? Her. Yeah. You want to be the woman that is romanced, that is irreplaceable, and the third thing that as women that we want is a beauty all our own to unveil. Beauty, beauty. Look at the games that little girls play, right? They love to play dress up. Give, give an old box of clothes to little girls and they've got hours. Uh, grandma's nighty is a ball gown. Mom's old pumps are glass slippers. Dime store beads are priceless jewels. And they love to get dressed up, many anyway, and come and then show you themselves. Look, look. Remember twirl skirts? A lot, of, a lot of girls, reason around age three, they go through a phase where they will not wear it if it does not twirl. And if it sparkles, then so much the better. I went to pick up a friend going off to a Christmas thing. She's about 85 years old. She came down the stairs wearing an evergreen corduroy jumper with a turtleneck that had little candy canes on it. And she was lit up. I said, you look 
beautiful. And she did this. <laughs> These desires that God has placed in our heart, they are ageless. He has set eternity in our hearts. The desire to bear a beauty all our own, that's set there as well. Little girls want to be seen and enjoyed. Every little girl comes into this world asking a question. You asked it. I asked it. And it goes something like, do you see me? Do you delight in me? Am I captivating? And some girls ask it with their words. Some girls just ask it with their eyes. Some girls ask it in twirly skirts. And some girls ask it covered in mud. But every girl is asking, do you see me? Do you delight in me? And the primary person that she asks is her father. Every woman wants to be seen and enjoyed. Every little girl does. She wants to feel special. One of the most beautiful women I had met up to that point was at a marriage retreat. Her name was June. And I was drawn to her like a moth to a flame. I was supposed to be with John, but I kept wanting to be with June because <laughs> there was something so alluring about her. I love the way she dressed with flowy skirts and just this bohemian style, these long dangly earrings and her hair put up in a way that I never could do. And she was about 75 years old. And it was the first time it dawned on me that it takes that long to get that beautiful. <laughs> and I actually mean that. But I'm not talking about some kind of skin regime or diet protocol. I'm talking about a heart that has been cultivated by faith over decades. Beauty wrought into the depth of her soul. A woman who didn't deaden her heart or lop off parts of her personality because that's what the world told her to do and that's what the pain of life tempted her to do, but who risked staying alive and even becoming more alive as she aged. I want that. It's a rare and beautiful thing. And I know that beauty is tricky to talk about. Honestly, uh, I've just walked into a minefield. Just the word, I could step anywhere and it's going to blow up. I know. And here I go anyway. But because beauty, as defined by the world, oh, it's just not enough. It's been extolled and worshipped and kept out of reach. The pictures that we are bombarded with of, of the world standard of beauty is actually completely physically out of reach by more than 99% of the population. Billions are being spent to sell us something that we can never buy. But we try. Oh, this will make you beautiful. Come get this. You won't attain it, but come get this. Chase this. And some of you have been so harmed, all of us, have been so harmed by this. And that's why it's hard to talk about. Because there just comes a place where we just despise it and despise the desire. It has gotten us into trouble. Just, just the lack of it has been so painful. And for those that have been considered beautiful by others, it has gotten you into so much trouble and harm and envy, which is so wicked. 
This is where we bear the image of God. We can't kill it. This desire to have a beauty all our own is so much deeper than some external presentation or measurement. We are made in the image of God who is nothing if not beautiful. David says, one thing have I desired, to to gaze upon your beauty. To gaze upon his beauty. I know your beauty has been attacked, assaulted. Mine has been. But this desire, this is the core desire. This is the mothership, this desire. Because if you don't believe you possess any true beauty, then why would anybody pursue you? Why would anybody want you? If you don't believe that you have anything that's beautiful to offer someone, then how can you possibly play an irreplaceable role? Your beauty, dear ones, is under siege. It has been harassed and taunted and mocked because it matters, because you matter. And because you are made in the image of the living God, you wear a beauty. You bear and own a beauty that is all your own, crafted into you at your creation. It is real. It is true. It is deep in your heart. And the enemy fears it. The enemy attacks it in order to keep your heart down and keep you pinned down, keep you from believing that you are who God says you are, keeps you from offering what you are meant to offer because you are a powerful daughter of God's. Powerful. Your beauty is powerful. As an image bearer of the living God, you bear a beauty that is deep and true and core to your soul. And yes, it manifests itself on the outside, but more deeply, it is an internal quality. It is an essence to your very soul. And yes, it's external. And the desire to be pretty on the outside or have a beauty on the outside, that's not bad. That's to care about that. Is, it's great to obsess about it. <clears throat> that's when we get in trouble. We're actually at our most beautiful when we're not obsessing over being beautiful. Because, gals, this is not about the perfect figure. This is not about the spotless complexion. This is about tenderness. This is about mercy and vulnerability and strength. The world wants to measure our beauty. How do you measure the embrace of a woman? How do you measure being in the presence of someone who welcomes you with tenderness or sees you with loving eyes? How do you measure the glory of a sunset? The beauty of a nursing mother. How do you measure the beauty of the living God? How do you measure you? Yes, we desire an external beauty that attracts, but more deeply, we desire an internal beauty that captivates. A beauty that nourishes. A beauty that brings life. These core desires are so intricately entwined, it's difficult to separate them because so much of our offering to the world 
in our irreplaceable role is really an extension of offering our unique beauty. And we do it in response to knowing that we are romanced, pursued, and wanted. You see, they all fit together. We have to awaken to all of them. Think about that scene. This is helpful. The scene in, that we just watched. I want to be heard. That last scene of Arwen. What is more beautiful? The dress that she arrives in, her glorious hair, or is it her willingness to risk her life on behalf of someone unable to fight for themselves? Clearly, clearly, it's the second. To pour out your life on behalf of another is the most beautiful thing any person has ever done. I love this poem. Not merely in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a calm and peaceful smile, a holy light upon your brow? No more. I felt his presence when you laughed just now. For me, it was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim, but when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me. And from your heart, his love is shed till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. That's beautiful. We are women. We are made in the image of the living God. We desire to be romanced, to be irreplaceable, and to have a beauty all our own. This weekend is going to be a marvelous journey together, together with each other and together with God into our true hearts to recover them and to meet Jesus in them and to awaken to them. Let's go back to the core desires of a woman's heart. Tell me what they are. Romanced, irreplaceable, well done. That's right. God gave you those desires when he created you. And I don't know where you're coming in from tonight, but I know that for all of us, they get assaulted, so those desires may be lost. They may be buried. I know they have been wounded. Those desires were vibrant when God created Eve. He placed those desires in her and she was fully alive and utterly captivating. But a lot has happened in the world since the creation of Eve and the woman in Mark 5. And a lot has happened in your life from desires you may have been aware of and had as a little girl and your life this morning. Sometimes the desires of a woman's heart and the reality of her life are an ocean apart. God knows. God knows. But they are still there. They are still there. And God is inviting all of us to take the deeper risk of awakening even more fully to them where he is calling us to awaken See, there are many places in us that just feel like dry bones, that feel dead, places here that do, and nothing is impossible for God. Where there is life, there is hope. 
where it looks like there is no life, there is hope. Nothing is out of his reach. There is still hope. I speak to you tonight and I say, I don't know your particular story, but I know a God who does. And he says to you, beloved, there is hope. Take a risk. Take a risk. Another one. And come to me because I never change. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I still have the desire to heal you, to restore you, to restore your feminine heart. He longs to restore us. He longs to come to the places that feel dead. He longs to come to the places and the chambers in our heart where we are wounded and bleeding. And I know that there are many in this room who have been bleeding much longer than 12 years. God knows. He knows. Perhaps God has pricked something in your heart tonight. Maybe he has awakened something or... Brought to mind a memory, some longing. I'm, I'm hoping he has awakened something. Maybe he's even made you mad. Why did you come this weekend? What do you want? What does your heart want? How would you love the living God, to meet you. We're going to ask him to do that. For as much as you have the capacity right now, I want to pray with you, and I want you to take the risk and come into agreement with me and give him permission, give him access. This is a safe place. We are not asking you to open up your hearts and waken to desires in any kind of act of violence, but with a kind and tender pursuit, like a little ember to blow on it, to fan the flames of who you are and who you are created to be so that you can know God in the depth of your being, love him with your heart and live from it. He has come for you. He is coming now. Let's pray. Dear faithful Jesus, would you find me again, please? Would you come for me, please? I trust you. I believe that you are good. But this feels pretty risky, Jesus. And you know we've been here before. But I choose by faith to give you access to my heart and to awaken in me the longings and the desires that you have placed there. I need you, God. And you know I'm thirsty. You know I ache. And I ask you to come for me. Would you heal me? Would you restore me? Would you revive me? Would you bring life to the places where I feel cut off? I ask you to come. I give you permission to come. I invite you 
now and throughout this entire retreat to do for me all that you want to do for me and all that I long for you to do for me. Come, Jesus. I come with faith. I look to you. And I know that your gaze on me is one of pleasure. Glad that I am pressing in, reaching out and asking you again. I need you, Jesus. Come for me tonight. Come for me. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Stacy Eldridge from our recent Captivating event, talking about the core desires of a woman's heart. To go deeper in the Captivating message, we have the book Captivating. We also have Captivating Live, which is the entire event captured on either audio or video. And there's so many more resources about a woman's heart. You can find those all at ransomedheart.com. I'm Alan Arnold, and I hope you join us next week for the Ransomed Heart Podcast. Thanks for listening.